Hey guys, and welcome back to a very belated Talking with Shadows, the conversation everyone has, and we've eventually gotten to. Here with your host, Vic Waitley. And Marcus D. And the first thing that we need to do is welcome our newest patron, Sean. Thank you so much, Sean. And the second thing is we should probably apologize for this coming up late. Yeah, sorry guys. Uh, me and Vic have been kind of like really, really busy lately. And a lot of uh, recent events had uh, actually taken us away from home. So it was kind of hard for us to record, actually. Yeah, my father had some health issues and I had to leave town for about a week. <laughs> yeah, all of last week I was down in Nashville competing in a comedy competition. Uh, didn't do... Uh, well, I did well, but I didn't win. But I was I was very happy with how I did while I was down there. But uh, now we're back in the studio today, guys, recording uh, today's episode. And I'm very, very, very eager to finally uh, talk more paranormal. And thirdly, I suspect you guys might have noticed a slight tweak to our intro. Yeah, we forgot in our last episode to give a shout-out to one of our good friends, the libertarian guitarist. He made a fantastic... Uh, rendition of the Star Spangled Banner on his guitar, and I thought it'd be really cool to kind of play it for you guys uh, around the 4th of July. Didn't get to the last episode, but we got to this episode, so I really hope that you guys enjoyed that. If you guys enjoyed his music, uh, go over and support him on YouTube. We're going to put a link to his YouTube channel in the comments below. Um, oh, quick shout-out before we uh, get to uh, today's episode. We want to talk about our poll that we have put up on our Patreon. So if you guys didn't check out our last episode, we have decided that we are going to have our fans vote on what the name of our fan base is gonna be and just so you know guys right now it's a dead heat it is a dead heat right now so if you guys want to vote on what our uh, vote for one of our top uh, contenders for the names of our fan base uh, they are truth seekers candlelight drifters shades shadowlings and the whispers and who's tied right now right now it is a dead time between candlelight drifters and shades so if you guys want to vote uh, on this poll, you don't have to be a patron uh, on our Patreon to actually vote in this poll. All you actually have to do is make a Patreon account and then go over to our Patreon and vote in this poll. And we're going to put a link to this poll in the comments below. But at the same time, if you get there yeah, and see yeah. a persuasive argument, plug, plug, plug. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, look, they have a ton of other content that they have just for their patrons only. Such as uh, 15 to 20 minutes extra for every podcast, as well as exclusive uh, paranormal videos for their patrons. Plug, cock, plug. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but if you guys can't become a patron, anyway, you guys can, uh, that you guys want to support us, we are always super appreciative. You can give a like to this, share is probably one of the best things you guys can do leaving a comment also really makes our day uh, and makes us super eager to make more paranormal content for you guys so 
comments from the last episode. Yes, finally get to the comments from our last episode. Uh, so if you guys didn't uh, catch our last episode, our last episode, uh, Solo Plays the Government, uh, we talked about Gary McKinnon, who back in 2001 hacked the United States government, N hacked NASA, the Army, and all that, found out it was actually pretty easy. Uh, and he snooped around for almost two years, uh, looking at classified documents, finding all sorts of uh, various uh, kind of weird things uh, when he was when he was looking in there, such as files under NASA or under the Navy, sorry, entitled uh, "Non-Terrestrial Officers," uh, as well as a uh, a whole file system in NASA where they have photoshopped versus non-photoshopped uh, photos of UFOs. So the very first comment that we're gonna uh, that we're gonna do comes from uh, Death Knight. Death Knight says, "Awesome! One of my names was picked. Topic of the video was very interesting. I've heard of him before, but didn't really look into him. My thoughts are that the UK was using him, and honestly, I believe they are more powerful than we believe they are. They probably wanted to figure out the extension of the U.S. capabilities. That's pretty similar to kind of what I was thinking too. Uh, I agree." Uh, I think that most governments know more than what they let on on any particular topic, and they probably wanted to keep what they knew he knew close to heart. So, yeah, they probably wouldn't want Gary McKinnon back into the hands of the U.S. government. Because, yeah, I really can't think of why they would fight this hard to keep him if they still didn't consider him an asset. Yeah. And, you know, too, you know, the United... Uh, the Again, the United Kingdom is a, is a major ally of the United States. If they said, no, we're not going to send him over, what are they going to... What's the U.S. going to do? I mean, really. I mean, <laughs> so they probably they had a real strong play there. I think. Uh, Kay Bennett says, uh, "I have a few comments. One, I'm terrified that these docs are barely protected by minor passwords. He's probably changing his reasons just because he is trying to save his behind. The UK probably is using him as an agent, hopefully cybersecurity. Uh, it almost seems like Asperger's in the UK is like a mental state you can't prosecute like insanity, which is weird." Five, given the U.S. Navy had a mass had a massive projects with spy planes over countries, and given that NASA has admitted they have black ops missions, I say the Navy non-terrestrial officers may control spy space satellites. I can see that. Uh, I can see that too. Uh, you know, I think uh, I agree a lot with what you're saying there, Kay Bennett. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm I'm just kind of in agreement with on, on you. And there's a lot of weird on-the-books cases involving Asperger's and the um, British government that are just very odd cases. Mm -hmm. uh, Guy Prieto says, Hey guys, the Lobstrosities are from the Dark Tower series, mainly the second book, The Drawing of the Three. But yes, yeah, soon to become a patron and glad one of my names got picked. We're very happy to. And guess we... No, no other podcast or YouTube channel loves their fans more than us super hearts guys super super hearts so today's episode is dedicated to all of our fans out there that you guys are listening so in honor of that today for you guys i am drinking uh bud light seltzer mango and i'm drinking bud light seltzer strawberry and if you're wondering why bud light seltzer because i had a party and someone left a bunch of them here <laughs> and uh i think ellie drank most of the good alcohol yeah ellie has drank most we need to find a way to hide the alcohol from <laughs> ellie because ellie will just drink all and we're, we're irresponsible about buying the alcohol going out and buying alcohol before these so this is probably our punishment we'll be left with <clears throat> all right so uh this is to you guys our fans cheers cheers to you guys clink Oh, that is, 
of fabulous mango soda water. You do not look like you care <laughs> for is... it. Oh, it's like drinking on a dare. Oh. Oh. I, I don't I don't mind mine, but I like okay. seltzers. Like I, I'm that guy who actually kinda likes white oh. claw. God, you would like White Claw. You look like a person <laughs> that would like White Claw. Well, the thing is, like, my, one of my favorite drinks is gin and tonic, and it reminds me of gin and tonic. Yeah. It also, it tastes like, it tastes like, oh, God, like grapefruit juice that, like, your roommate left out and you accidentally drank. Dude, like, maybe I should have tamed that one. Like, I there's, like, like there's some skin on top, like, there's <laughs> skin on top, and it's just straight, that nasty water that, like... Sets on the bottom. Oh. I think everyone can tell we are probably not endorsed by Budweiser. No. Shame on you, Budweiser. Sh shame on you for putting this out. I'm going to have to drink some real alcohol after this. Okay, so today's episode, guys, we are talking about... We're talking about one of the most important abductions that you guys have probably not actually heard about, Absolutely. unless you have. Absolutely. We're going to be talking about the Travis Walton uh, UFO abduction story. Um, and if you guys are, like, not very familiar with, like, UFO, like, abduction stories, the Travis Walton story is, like, it, it, it's one of the, the go-to abduction stories. It's one of the least talked about iconic abductions. Yeah, yeah, it's like, uh, it's like there's the Hill story, and then yep. there's the Travis Walton story. Like, it's a, it's another just good one for you guys to know, and I thought this would be a good one, um, to bring to you guys today to kind of talk about. And it's also fairly complex. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of angles to this one. It is, and there's a lot to digest uh, in this in this episode. So the kind of giving you guys a little bit of background on this on this. So it's November fifth, nineteen seventy five. Travis Walden works for the um, he works as a as a logger. Okay, and him and his uh, and him and his logging buddies are working in the Apache. Oh, I can never pronounce these. I can never pronounce these, na these names right. The Apache Sitgreaves National Forest uh, near Snowflake, Alaska. And him and his logging buddies are done. Um, Wait, do you say Alaska? No, Arizona. Yeah, you you said Alaska. Did I say Alaska? I'm sorry, I meant okay, Snowflake. Not Alaska. No, Snowflake, Arizona, which is kind of ironic, by the way. Um, and they get done logging for the day, and they start heading home. They start leaving the site job. And as they're traveling uh, together in this in this car home, like back back towards town, all of a sudden in the distance they see this this bright light in the tree line. Now most loggers in this, like most loggers, are aware that sometimes that forest fires like forest fires are a thing. And according to Trevor Fulton, he said it's normal for loggers to stop, try to put out some sort of small fire so that you know. A wildfire doesn't start spreading, you know. Wildfires are bad for the logging industry. So, um, he, they all stop and they get out of the car. And Travis Walton is ahead of the group. And he gets through the tree line and he sees, about 100 yards in front of him, a saucer-shaped UFO. And he describes it as about being, I think, like the typical like UFO-esque shape that you're thinking of. You know, with like the the, the the round the dome on top with the with the round base on the bottom, and it's metallic and it's emanating this bright glow. And he said it was like forty feet. And one thing he says is like forty feet wide. Like it's not really that big, as far as UFOs go. If, for as far as like UFOs go, and 
they're all freaked out by this and his friends start backing away like his co-workers start like backing away and as you know travis is like ducked down trying to get a better look at what's going on all of a sudden he is hit by this bright white light that hits him and knocks him unconscious and according to him he said all of his friends did the responsible thing uh and left him <laughs> and, and they took off this is kind of like why when me and Vic talk about what you're paranormal investigating always make sure that you're going to go with the people that are going to run in the same direction as you yep. <laughs> so you are not getting left to be abducted by aliens so <laughs> so Travis is unconscious and he, when he wakes up he says he wakes up in on a metal table and the entire room and with the interviews that I watched about him, he describes that he wakes up in this in this in this room that's all made of I think he says the same material. Yeah, like the floor and ceiling can yeah. merge into yeah. one. Every it's like everything's one big piece, yeah. except for the tools that they need to move around. Yeah. And he's on this like medical examination table and there are some aliens that are in the room. And he describes them being kind of shorter, kind of like grays. It was kind of like, what was it, like, peakish, grayish skin with big eyes? He described them as being a little more, like, colored than yeah. gray is. Like, like they like had they, more of a blush to their yeah, skin. Yeah, like, they throw the gray term out, but, like, the, it's not, like, straight gray, solid black eyes, which is what most people think of when they when they think gray. Like, you know. Uh, like, like when he's describing these guys, I'm almost thinking, like, kind of like the guy from The Mandalorian that said, like, you know, this is the way. <laughs> like, the one of the, I think they're called Unats or something like that that are from that series, uh, but with, like, giant black eyes. Uh, and, of course, he's rightfully freaked out by seeing by seeing this. And he ends up grabbing an instrument on the table to try to essentially defend himself from getting this weird med- medically examined by these aliens. And they take off from the room. And as he gets up, he, moved, he moves towards the door where they run out of, and then when they run one direction, he runs another direction. Now... As he's heading in another direction, he gets this sense that he's on a much bigger ship than what he's on. Like, he describes it, he thinks that the ship that abducted him took him to, like, another ship or, like, another area. And as he's trying to escape the horror of being abducted, he runs into another alien. But it's different than the ones that we described before. These are taller, more human-esque, with kind of, like, blondish platinum hair. Think Nordic, for those of you guys that know that term. Um, is kind of a, a, a term that's thrown out for the possible alien that he may have encountered. But they're wearing like a helmet, and he describes them as wearing like blue coveralls. And he gets this, he says that he gets this sense that the alien is trying to assist him and help him at first, and he follows this alien. But he ends up following him to another room where there's more of them, and then things start getting a little more tense in the situation, and he starts to panic. And he says that they surround him. And they a place what he thought was a kind of a respirator, but without a hose. So it's just like the respirator piece over his mouth, which makes him go unconscious. And they and they sedate him. The next thing he knows is he's waking up from this fog, walking down the highway of Snowflake, Alaska. I said again, Snowflake, Arizona, and he comes to and realizes that he's off the ship and he turns around and he sees the ship leaving behind him. He ends up walking down the highway and ends up getting to a gas station, an Exxon gas station. And he calls his brother-in-law who calls his brother and they come and get him. Turns out he had been missing for over five days. People thought he was dead. There were 
cops everywhere searching for him. He said there was a massive manhunt looking for him. They started contacting his coworkers, like his coworkers, thinking that they had murdered him, um, and interrogated them and interrogating them about his disappearance. And then he tells everybody about his experience, and of course, in typical most uh, abductee uh, style, nobody believes him at first. They think he was drunk. They think he was on drugs. They think he went crazy. They think he hallucinated. He ends up getting drug tested uh, shortly thereafter, which comes back clean. He ends up um, taking lie detector tests after this, um, passing initially uh, on those lie detector tests. Um, and from then on, he just ha he never changes this, this story about what happened to him. If you guys have ever seen the movie Fire in the Sky, it's based off his encounter, although it, they changed the story a great deal. And Travis does not care for the fact that they have fudged so many of the details on it. Oh, fire, yeah, Fire in the Sky, uh, brought to us by Robert Lieberman, who brought us such great works as D3, <laughs> like the third Mighty Ducks movie, <laughs> or the direct-to-DVD Stranger with Stone Cold Steve Austin. <laughs> yeah, I know, like, when he initially was uh, brought the script for the movie and Travis's story, he really felt that this wasn't interesting enough to make a story yeah. out of, so he yeah. ended up embellishing a great deal of details. Yeah, he... Like, the, the movie itself, if you guys have never seen it, it's been years. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I know that a lot of... It, it's one of those movies and when they that's that's based off his story that it's it got more thing later, I think, when people go back and they kind of watch it. Like, some people, that they watch it and they like it and they think it's great. But, you know, he's, again, he says that there's things, the details that are changed in there, um, such as, like, the amount of, like, scrutiny he got from the like, ufologists and the, even the number of guys that were witnesses to this thing. He said there was even more witnesses. And the abduction was made way more invasive and aggressive than his actual abduction was. Right. So, um, so where, where do you want to start first with, with talking about the story? Because that's the, that's the story essentially. I want to talk a little bit more about what was happening during those five days when uh, Travis was missing. Like, one of the first things, like you alluded to earlier, they really thought that, um, well, I, we, we say the say they, we say friends, we say buddies, mm -hmm. but these were really, as Travis says, these were really just co-workers. co-workers. Yeah. They weren't really a, a tight-knit group. They kind of came in, worked together, and then more or less just went their separate ways. And one of them actually hated Travis. Yeah, this it, is the only one of them that failed the lie detector test when they were, um, what, what happened, he didn't so much fail, but what happened was... Uh, during one of the questions, it's asked, do you ever have or harbor ill will towards Travis? And this guy really did. He tried to cut down a tree on Travis yeah. before to harm him. They, yeah. they were fighting over the same woman and things like that. Mm -hmm. And he just abandoned the test, and that's why yeah. it was inconclusive yeah. on him. His name was Alan Davis. He didn't like where the line of questioning was going. And he just left. I think he later comes back to take the polygraph test. Yeah. And he ends up passing it. Um... um and the police chief just really didn't buy his story. Supposedly, secretively, he did believe Travis because he had his own UFO encounter. But at least at the time, he was not outwardly portraying that fact. Yeah. I think an underlying part of the story is there's more people in this story are are into UFOs and have experiences than... It's that's told publicly, you know, like Travis is saying the sheriff of the town has had instances of this where he's seen UFOs. 
Travis himself had been very into the UFO phenomenon prior to his prior to prior to his experience in this thing. So it's it's very weird how hard everybody came down on Travis when he showed back up. I mean, it's not surprising though. I mean, if you know, if one of your if one of somebody you know disappeared for five days, I guess, and said that they were abducted by aliens, you'd probably want to know what they might have been smoking or drinking. <laughs> oh, yeah, and they were uh, interrogating Travis's mother, trying to get information out of her because they thought that she might have been hiding Travis. Mm-hmm. And several times they had her broken down to tears during these interrogations. Well, again, when it, when it comes to disappearances or murders. Nine times out of ten, it's somebody else that you're living with or a direct person that's directly close to it. So that's probably why his family members and his coworkers were being so heavily scrutinized. You know, it's usually not that big of a stretch to, you know, it's it randomly they're just random murders or random kidnappings. Usually it's it's done by somebody that directly knows the person. So it's not surprising he's gone for five days and then the police grill all of his close family members and co-workers as much as they did. And at the same time, the guys that did come back, they didn't keep secret about like what they saw. They came mm-hmm. back and said they saw this UFO, that it hit him with this flash of light, and that they basically took off. And, and something in Travis's defense is all of these witnesses, all these people that he was with, his co-workers, saw the UFO. Okay, And whenever all the investigators came, most of them backed up what Travis saw that time. And they, you know, people had offered them money. He said to come publicly to say, you know, to, to refute what he said, that it was something else. But all of these guys claim that they saw a UFO. So none, none of them none of them would speak ill against him in public. Another thing is Travis's story has stayed extremely consistent over the years. Mm-hmm. There's only been like a slight little bit of flubbing here and there. And they're only on like minor details like... Uh, on how interested he was in UFOs. Apparently, at one point, they're claiming he said he was more interested than he actually was, or vice versa. But for the most part, he stayed very consistent, especially on the details that are important. Like, tr- when when you watch interviews of Travis, and the one, if you guys are searching for, like, recommendations on this, uh, Hannibal TV did a fantastic interview with him. It's, like, over, like, an hour and 20 minutes long. They go over his story from start to finish. They nitpick the whole thing. It's a really, really good interview with him. It's probably the best one that I've seen so far. Where it's mostly just Travis talking rather than other people commenting on his actual experience. So it's a great place to start. Um, when, when I watch Travis talk about his experiences with it, you know, we... Getting abducted by aliens is a very traumatic thing. You know, you're going through a very traumatic experience. So when you watch him talk about what he saw, it reminds me a lot of, like, vets. Like, when they're thinking back to a traumatic event, like in wartime, or people that have experienced a significant trauma. Yeah, sometimes at work, we work with people with PTSD. And it's something that we're fairly familiar with. And it kind of, he had that same sort of look facial expression and avoidant eye contact that really made me wonder, does he have some PTSD left yeah. over from this experience? Like Travis, Travis Walton is, is a guy that people compare to like Bob Lazar, like in their trustworthiness. But if you watch like interviews with like Bob Lazar, Bob Lazar is almost kind of even made for TV because he's like directly looking at the camera the whole time he's talking. He never, flutters he never moves watching travis walton is like watching your grandpa tell a story about world war ii well 
when you're talking about Bob Lazar, he had an amazing set of experiences, but they weren't a traumatic set. None he, of it was in, so much invasive on he, him. Yeah, but he but he thought for the longest time the government was coming to kill him. Now again, I'm not. This isn't a video necessarily about whether or not Bob Lazar is accurate. You guys can chill, totally go check out our video where we talk about Bob Lazar. But I'm talking about Travis Walton. So like watching him as a character, like as his character when he's talking. I mean, me and, and Vic again, we work with people that have gone through traumatic events. We also deal with a lot of people that lie to us <laughs> on a day, on yep. a daily basis about you know you know as poor historians, and just watching him, that's what he looks like. He looks like a old person telling a traumatic event like he's like reflecting back on what he went through you know he's not doing kind of a, a showmanship a showmanship you know song and dance even though full for the record he didn't get he did get money from the national Enquirer shortly after coming forward with the story yeah like, and he did make money off yeah, the movies and stuff too he did he and he wrote, he wrote a book yeah books. yeah he wrote a book called the i think it's called the walton experience that's his first book yes yeah yeah published his first book in 1978 called the walton experience and i think he publishes another book called i think it's, i think it's called fire in the yeah. sky yeah it, it's because uh around that time they were experiencing issues with uh lightning bolts catching on fire the tops of the trees right. Right. and he took that name from that because when they first saw the ufo they initially thought it was that because they saw the slide, but it was up off the ground, and they thought lightning bolts had and you had um, ignited the tops of the trees. But then they realized it was moving, and <laughs> that's when they're like, "Okay, there might be something going on here." Mm. <sighs> What's the next thing we want to talk about? Okay, let's talk about his abduction. Oh let's, yeah, let's start breaking into this and that. I think we're ready. Yeah. Okay. First of all. Travis's view of his experiences is that what happened was he had gotten too close to UFO, that the flash of light had something to do with the propulsion, that it had injured him severely badly, and that then they had picked him up to basically heal him because they had accidentally injured him. Oh, those are the most benevolent aliens I've ever heard of. <laughs> I don't think Travis is lying, but I think he might be a little naive when it comes to some of this. I'll respect you, Travis. Oh, You're yeah, You're a cool yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. We're not saying that there's something flawed in you. But I do think that that is unlikely to be the legitimate case. Mm -hmm. Um, there is some signs that he was, based on what he was tactilely feeling, like feeling like there was burning inside his body, based on the fact that there was augmented growth of the plants in the area, I think whatever hit him exposed him to a great deal of radiation. But I would be surprised if these extraterrestrials' reason for picking him up was nearly that benevolent. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go the other way. I think like he was legit hit by a phaser set to stun. Like, I think he was, like, legit, um, pro probably picked up. Like, I think that's what they were doing. I mean, he wakes up, he wakes up in a medical facility with tools next to him, and there's aliens that have surrounded him. You know, I don't, I don't see why there's any more of a reason to believe that they did it on purpose than that it was some sort of accident and they were trying to assist him. Yeah, because when you look at other UFO stories... You don't really hear about the light being associated with an act of propulsion when it comes to these UFOs. Right. It seems to be more of a weapon slash gathering device. It I've never really heard of it used as a as a something that's used for propulsion. Have you? Mm -mm. And we've looked over many UFO cases. And I would say you're probably right. It was probably something done intentional. 
Now, why these things were like hovering in that area, I'm not quite sure. Now, but I think they're like, oh, there's one watching us. Bam. Now, what does surprise me is is that he wakes up on the table. You know, they have the ability to to stun him, or they have the ability to do that, and then he just wakes up on the table. I would think that in a species with the ability to traverse the vastest space would have the ability to control somebody like that on their ship. Well, think about what happens right after that. It's something that you hear a lot in Grey and Reptilian encounters. Mm -hmm. um, so he wakes up on the ship, uh, ship, and initially they all kind of gather around him and start leaning over him, staring straight into to, uh, his eyes. I think he was probably sedated using a psychic method mm -hmm. and somehow broke through whatever it was. And I think when they're leaning over him, staring deep into his eyes, I think they're trying to put him that back in that mesmeric state, put him back under psychic influence. And at that point, for one reason or another, he just wasn't having it. He wasn't slipping back under their influence. I think that this was, there's just something about him that broke through that influence. No, and I think we've seen that before. There, there are some people... <laughs> that are an exception to how people normally work. Like, their just brain is just wired in a different way. So it's very quite possible that maybe they were doing something to put him out, and he his just for, you know, just for whatever reason, his brain chemistry or his how his brain is wired made him more resistant than maybe what they expected. You know, you know, then that's whenever he's like, you know, he wakes up, grabs the the tool, and the aliens are like, "Time to roll." <laughs> Which I I buy pretty well because there's a lot of stories of people who are when when aliens are in their house, beginning the pro the process of taking them, and they're putting them under like a paralysis, trying to control their mind. And sometimes when they break through it, what do the aliens do? They run. They, yeah, they, they usually snap. take off really quick because I I'm pretty sure. They're worried that they can be harmed in that situation, yeah. and I think it makes sense that once he broke through, got up, and started swinging an object, they're just yeah. going to nope like, out of it. Like, if you look like at a gray alien as compared to, like, the average human, like, without their mental powers, I feel like I could take one. Like, I oh, feel, yeah, yeah they're, like, they're small, they're yeah. gaunt. Yeah, I feel like I could punch one. I feel like I could punch one out. I really do. So, I'm hoping that my brain chemistry is wired in a way that it doesn't work on me. I don't know, but... I mean, look how spindly their arms are. You would have to be able to break those oh, relatively easily. And their heads are so huge. It's like it's such an easy target, you know. They're probably not even used to actually fist fighting, so they're probably even worse at fighting, like knowing like maybe I should dodge this projectile coming. Oh. <laughs> I mean their body shape is extremely lithe. Yeah. I, I would not I would believe that they would be good at sneaking around, which makes sense for like a lot of people who have like home invasion alien encounters where they're like creeping around and they're peeking in through doorways stuff seeing what's going on um i believe that they could sneak now i do not believe that in a standard fight without some sort of psychic influence or technological influence which, whichever it may be i do not believe that they would stand up to your standard homo sapien i think no, that they would get wrecked it would look like the scene from mars attacks where the boxer fights the martian and he just punches he just punches the <laughs> helmet off like you know it took like 50 of them to subdue him What's your thoughts on the his next encounter? Now, that's what I was going to go to next. So, the next thing that he does is he, enc is he encounters the, these Nordic-esque aliens. And and he, he wasn't really sure if these were human or non-human. Yeah. He leaned towards this was probably a human. Well, that, that that's pretty common in Nordic experiences where yeah. people describe them as looking human-ish. You know, there's something slightly off, whether it's the eyes, the fact that they look like 
elves from Lord of the Rings, like from a Tolkien book esque thing, you know, kind of, you know, look to them. I, I have not encountered a lot of stories involving Greys and Nordics together. I know there's some, but I mean, I, I found it weird that there were two different alien species on that small of a sh on that on that kind of a ship. I've heard a theory before that what's going on is that the uh, the Greys are basically a servitor species for the Nordics, and okay. there's like the tall Greys and the short Greys, mm -hmm. and they're basically like bio robots. Now, I've never found anything to back up this theory. This is just something I've heard floating around before, and I don't I don't particularly. <sighs> By it as being necessarily the situation, but in this specific specific instance, it does kind of make sense. You know, now and and when you listen to Travis's story, he felt like he was being led to for a good reason to a particular area, you know. And then once he got there, once he once he got there, they're trying to help him. They they that's when they sedated him. I believe that because. Uh, Vic and me have done similar tactics to patients at work. Some, we were trying to be as least restrictive as possible. You're like, come here. It's going to be okay. You know, trying to do whatever you can. But look, you're agitated. You're a danger to self or others. You're running around on a ship wielding a dangerous object. Can't have you doing that. <laughs> yeah, and he felt that the, the helmet thing that yeah. the person was wearing was for its protection from him since he had gotten out of control. But he felt that this was an entity sent in to calm him down. I'm going with psychic influence here. How do you go from fighting off a bunch of aliens with some sort of weird object to, oh, hey, this guy, this guy's going to be the person to help me. Like, he got Stockholm Syndrome real quick. <laughs> like, yeah. real quick, real fast. I really think that there is some sort of psychic or technological influence over him at this point to make him believe that, and then that allowed like, them to, like, you know, sedate him. Like, again, he's... Think of the Travis's mindset here. He wakes up in a totally alien space, literally believing he has been abducted by, like, been abducted by aliens. He grabs a weapon. He is running. The only thing on his mind is escape. He runs into somebody who is kind of still not human, looking weird. That doesn't ever actually talk to him, just gestures towards him. And then becomes somewhat trusting of this, of this particular entity. Like, again, even... Again, I go back to our experience working at the, you know, in mental health. We've we've done that. People that are trying to escape or elope, you know, and elope, that they don't they don't shift that quick. Like when yeah, they're, when they're in that it, when they're in that panic escape mode. Think about it on a purely biological level. He wakes up in this situation with these stare, these things staring at He's shocked. He realizes he can move. He goes moves to aggression. They flee. He takes his chance to find a way out. He should be, his heart should be pumping really hard and he should be brimming with adrenaline at mm -hmm. this point. That is not a conducive state to suddenly shift to people are on my side. Like his psychology at this point should be extremely guarded, but he doesn't seem to be. And that's odd to me. That's a anomaly right there. And that makes me think there's, there's a unseen force in action now. And I really think probably some sort of psychic influence where they're like okay we need to calm this guy down so we can get this mask on him <laughs> so we can get him sedated or he's going to end up wrecking the ship or something mm. and i really think that that's what happens he gets into that room he runs into this nordic who is probably coming to put him under the psychic influence anyways he brings makes him calm enough that the rest can approach they sedate him and they have him back under control you know, and then he, and then 
all of a sudden, later, years later, he's like, you know, yeah, I was kind of out of line when I was, you know, running through the, you know, we listened to him. He's like, yeah, I was kind of out of line running through that ship with the dangerous object. <laughs> like, in listening to him now, he still says that. He's like, I know, feel I was, like it's programming. I feel like, like this has to be programming because like, that seems very rational like, to me. You know, it's 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 so it's so weird. Like even people that have had have have been in just total psychosis with this that have just been like later like, I you know, it's not you know they're like oh you know I'm I'm sorry I was totally out of line. I appreciate that you guys all tackled me and uh, sedated me and like that. Like it's it's so rare to get that. Okay, another question I have about this situation he finds himself in. And I have not heard him bring this up himself in any interviews, but you were gone for five days. <laughs> you have memory of what probably comes down to a less than 30-minute encounter. What the heck was going on for the rest of it? Because we don't know if, like, the part he experienced, if that's towards the beginning, towards the middle, towards the end. We don't really know where that falls in the chronological order. I'm not... I'm not really surprised that he is not as disturbed about that time loss. We run into that with mental health a lot of time where people have time lapses because of not being able to remember what was going on. So it's not surprising that he's not super concerned. Now, I think he should be probably concerned about what they did to him in those, in those days, but you know, I'm not surprised he's not. I've experienced one case of missing time. And... It bugs the hell out of me to this day. I don't know what happened during that time. All I can say is something something went wrong somewhere. But like I know that gnaws at me sometimes because I don't know what occurred during that time. And I feel like this should be something that's gnawing at him. Like I think if you're trying to process that kind of trauma, you're probably not he probably doesn't want to know. Like, if I had to really think about it, like, I think for a lot of people, some people just, I don't think they'd want to know. Because I think once you've moved past that in your life, like, you you know, it's been like, what, 30-something, it's been 40, you know, some years since then. Like, he's probably wanting to move on, so he's probably not that concerned about that time loss for him. It also could be a survival mechanism. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. You know, he's he's having to move. You can't change. You can't change the past. Mm. You can only change the now to make a better tomorrow. You know, so maybe not thinking about it is something that helps him. Then, but I I I think he was experimented upon. I really do. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. I mean, there's tons of abduction stories where people where you know humanity's been experimented upon for biological, you know, for you know, for anatomy, reproduction. Even fun. I mean, it's I've heard all the I've heard all these accounts. Even with our level of technology, there's a lot of serious injuries that it will not take us five days to rectify. Mm -mm. It we can get people who've had major heart attacks back out on the street before five days. Even major physical trauma. Do you know? Do you know what's weird though? Is is again he he himself says that when he was. When he wakes up, he feels on a he was on a larger ship. Mm -hmm. Okay, but when he wakes up again from his haze, he's back home. Like they brought him back home, so obviously they put him on a smaller ship and return and returned him back. It's weird that that they cared enough to return him back to the same place. Well, like it almost makes a me, similar place. Well, similar as place where where they were able to go. Like 
And he does say that, like, in his haze, he thought he saw a, a light moving away from him, but it was like he was halfway away, yeah. kind of coming out of whatever sedation he was under. Like, it... I know when we talk on this podcast about aliens, we talk about them as not being the most benevolent things. But uh, it's, it's weird, though, that many times in abduction stories, they'll still return them back to their original place. You'd think if they were that malevolent, they just wouldn't care. No, I think it's an aspect of the study. I think they did what they wanted to and then dropped him off. Just, wouldn't that mean that you were watching him again probably they, later? They probably are. Yeah, you know? I, I, don't, I don't think that this was a like, one-and-done sort of case. Many abductees report being abducted multiple times, and some of them do not naturally remember. They, that memory needs a degree of coaxing. Mm-hmm. Maybe he has been taken more times. I don't know for a fact he hasn't or has. Mm-hmm. But, or maybe they did the experiment and they never had a reason to return, but they thought that perhaps in the future they may. Yeah. Because, again, like, you would think if they were that, like, again, they would just not care if he, like, you know, died. You know, the fact that he lives has got to be intentional. Well, you don't hear too much about um, stories involving, you know, them actually killing people. Well, yeah, because, again, they would just be missing persons, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Well, I guess that's true. <laughs> but uh, but also, fun fun fact, again, this again, this occurs in a national forest, which is, again, very closely probably tied into missing four, you know, missing 411, and a lot of people believing that, the, you know, people are being abducted from national forests. And often they're brought back in not the quite right place. place yeah. <laughs> actually, you know, I think about it, many of them are, like, where the person's found, like, five days later when the person is found. Mm-hmm. Gonna work coincidence, don't you think? Yeah, I really wish I would have realized this coincidence before now, and I would have done some more digging into that. Mm-hmm. But that just kind of just now hit me. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, I don't know why so much. It just if it it bothers me that aliens return people back generally close to where they abducted them before. Like, oh, I I, I, I don't I think know. there's a motive to it. I think it's because there's a degree of study here. Like, uh, yeah, it's it's so unnerving. That people do that 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 they do that like, like it would almost make me feel calmer if they just didn't care to just drop somebody back wherever. Well, think about it like this: a lot of the stuff that we get back from people who have been abducted seems to imply some sort of aspect of a breeding program. They've taken what they needed to from his DNA. They're going to play with it, see what results they can get, and you know what? They might need more later. You know, it's just, it's also just weird that they may have just, like, pinged him up and then, like, looked at the below and went, Nope, oh, that's a dude. Keep moving. <laughs> maybe, like, I don't know. They just breathe, they just blew on it. <laughs> hey, something that we didn't think about is maybe what he saw wasn't a Nordic. Maybe it was a hybrid. Maybe. Because a lot of people who do get abducted do report seeing, like, degrees of these hybrids. Mm-hmm. Okay. Do you think he's telling the truth? Can you think of any angle here where he had this was cover for something? There's a lot of people who imply that he has made this up. Like, do you want me to go first? No, I mean, if, if he's making it up, I would think that the reason he has made it up is for financial gain. You know, I've heard the theory that he, that him and his coworkers made this story up to get his company out of a logging contract that they didn't want to be in, you know, because obviously this place is dangerous. There's too much going on. 
we can't go back to this place. I've heard that theory. He does make money off of this. There's a movie deal that comes from it. He's written like two books. At the same time, he might just try and be making the best of a bad situation. But no. When I but when I watch his interview, Travis is a believable person. I do. I think he's a believable person. He when I listen to him talk, this is a guy who is reflecting back on events and just doesn't think it doesn't. He's a person that is reflecting on some major past events when he talks. So I, I think I believe him. I think, okay. If this is a stage situation, my only thought is he must not be very smart because if he set this up to cover up for him going to do something secretive or something else criminal, Got abducted by UFOs is a really, really bad way of covering it. Yeah, especially true. with being missing that long. Because that means they're going to go out and search for him. If he's off doing something criminal or something along those lines, just taking off five days or saying you're sick or going on vacation, all those are way infinitely better covers because none of them involve a search party looking for you. Um, if he's doing it for profit... I did not get the sense that he is living a very wealthy, high-dollar life. I am getting the sense that, like, he still has to work. He has not profited to a degree where he is living, like... I, he didn't seem like he's living uncomfortably, but he didn't seem like he's in a situation where he lives in an opulent life. You know, you know and again, I'm, I'm not inclined to believe just some random 30-year-old logger decides, you know, I'm going to make up being made up by, abducted by aliens for financial gain. Like, I don't think people think that way. I really don't. And pretty much everyone involved in the case came to the conclusion of these people either believe their experiences are real or they are all amazing liars. And just given that I cannot come with a, up with a logical motive for making this up unless they just executed it very poorly. Mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm just dumbfounded to try to come up with a reason. Um, like what a lot of people say is, oh, people made it up for attention. It's it would be hard to get that many people to sign on and commit to it and not break under scrutiny of law for something that's just attention seeking. I I think that he had at, at bare minimum. I think he believes the experiences that he had. Truthfully, I think that the experiences he had are fairly within reason of human memory accurate. To his experience. I think that this is an, a true story. Like, timing-wise, I get it. That this is coming out shortly after the Barney and Betty Hill UFO abduction story. So shortly after that, there are this string of, like, UFO stories that go out. But truthfully, Travis is probably... It's just the most believable. I mean, it, it really is. He's just this really believable guy. I just don't... I just don't... I just don't see him being the kind of guy that just wants to make this up for no reason. And a lot of people um, scrutinize the whole thing where a lot of his memories of the abduction, a lot of the details come out under hypnotic regression. But the thing is, not it, that wasn't true of all the details. He knew the story generally of what happened, but he was able to recall more details under the hypnotic suggestion. So some people say, oh, he was just hypnotized and they, the imagination made it all up. But that doesn't explain the... All the other loggers who yeah. also saw the UFO yeah. blast yeah. him. Name one logger that said he's lying. Oh wait, <laughs> I mean that. I mean that's my point. So, I mean it's just that's a part of the detail that's hard to, for me to believe. This is entirely just a hoax. Yeah, and the whole group has stuck to their story pretty well. You know. Yeah. Now, one, some people will say that you know 
shortly after the the Betty and Barney Hill incident, this UFO incident, there was a string of other, you know, UFO sightings, and that's why they're hoaxes. But maybe the Betty and Barney Hill incident was just the beginning. You know, maybe this is the beginning of something. That's why there's more stories, because there's more going on, because that's when these abductions are taking off. You know? Just because one person hears about it and everybody else starts doesn't necessarily mean that's the case. It could be one person had it happen to them, and then more went from the, and then more happened afterwards. But we're gonna leave that for you guys to talk about in the comments below. Definitely put in below in the comments what you guys think about Travis, what you guys think about the story, uh, anything like that. We're definitely wanting to get your guys's input uh, on this. Um, that leaves us. We're gonna be getting into our uh, topic for today. So, um, if you guys are interested in catching the rest of this podcast, make sure you guys go over to our Patreon and send them to become a patron. Yeah, in our pillow talk segment for our patrons, we're going to be talking about a plan that would get us in trouble yes, with our wives absolutely. if they were aware of it. Yes, we're gonna be talking about going on an adventure this Thursday in our pillow talk section where we explore the Randonautica app. But until next time, guys, keep believing because we'll keep listening. Just so you guys know, I have not heard about this app before today. Yep. I stumbled upon this app while I was down in Nashville competing for comedy. I was look, I was down there in my hotel room, and I'm, you know, surfing the web trying to find different topics for maybe me and Vic to talk about. And I stumbled upon, on Reddit, this thing called Randonautica. And I don't know if you guys have heard about this. This is a new app that's been out since the summer. I think it's in its beta phase right now. The, the Randonautica app is an app that you can download to your smartphone that essentially is a...